Uh, <clears throat> I do have uh, Exodus 18 uh, open in, in front of you. Um, I'm sure you have um, all done, done something uh, in your life, probably many, many times you've done something, you've done A, whatever A is, uh, so that you can do B, or whatever B might be. So like, for example, you might have uh, uh, driving lessons so that you can, eventually you can uh, drive to work and possibly save yourself a bit of time on the commute. Or you might have downloaded that app, I think it's called Couch to 5K. I've not downloaded it myself, but uh, you might have downloaded that in, in, in the hope that uh, you, know, you could increase your level of health and, and, and fitness in the long run. Or you may, uh, you, you may pay money into a pension so that when you retire, uh, you have uh, funds to, to live on. Life is kind of full of these sorts of things. You do one thing so that something else uh, happens. Um, sort of means to an end, if you like. And this evening, we're in Exodus uh, chapter 18, and we have this kind of, uh, well, all of Exodus so far, we've had the means, and, and in chapter 18, we, we start to see the, the end. We start to see, we, we've seen A, we're starting to see B. But it's a bit strange. Um, if we were to look, you see, if we were to look at the, the book of Exodus so far, uh, if we were to read it all, it's been pretty spectacular, kind of what's happened uh, God's people, uh, the Israelites, they were stuck in, in, in Egypt in, as slaves, and um, they were treated brutally. And God raises up a man called Moses to rescue them. And uh, eventually that, that happens. They're, they're freed, they're let go, uh, after some of kind of the most incredible and, um, and, and devastating miracles, they're often called plagues, uh, take place. Uh, the Israelites, they're, they're let go. Eventually they're, they're free. Uh, but Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after them. Uh, again, he wants his slaves back. And then the Israelites, they find themselves trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. Uh, but God saves them again by having them pass through the Red Sea on dry land. Uh, and the Egyptian army, when that goes in after them, uh, the, the waters rush back in uh, and they're drowned. And then, so, so they're free and they're in their desert. But something kind of doesn't seem quite right. They're Israelites, that they're free, but they just sort of wander around and nothing seems to, to they don't really seem to, well, they don't get anywhere, really. And they complain about not having you know, food and water and God provides both of those things for them. There's a battle with the Amalekites and with God's help, they win that battle. Uh, but why, why did all this happen? Kind of left wondering. Why did God rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt why did he kind of go through all that trouble? Uh, you know, that, that was the means, if you like. What was, what was the end? What was the point of it all? Well, in chapter 18, we begin to see the point, if you like. We, 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 we see why God did that. In chapter 18, we, we start to see why God, or what the purpose was to setting the Israelites free. We see that begin, just begin to take shape. Uh, and that's what we're looking at this evening. Uh, and I hope we'll see that there's, there's all sorts of ways that this um, applies to us as well, uh, that we can learn from. So the first thing I'd like us to see uh, is that the Israelites were rescued uh, to delight in God. Uh, the Israelites were rescued to delight in God. They were to be, to be happy and to find joy in God and what he's done for them. And I, I've broken this down into sort of three 
little things, three sub-things. And the first thing, uh, to delight in God, we are to keep in mind God's deeds, uh, both past uh, and future. To keep in mind God's deeds. Now, um, let's look at the names of Moses' sons. Um, So early on in this chapter, we kind of have a, a sort of a family reunion. Um, if you like, and we're, we're told the names of, of Moses' sons and, and what they mean. Uh, as was often the case in those days, names uh, had kind of real uh, meaning. Uh, and these names say a lot about how Moses uh, views God, about where he finds his hope, uh, his happiness, his, his delight. Uh, Moses' first son, he's called Gershom. Uh, now that word in, in Hebrew sounds like uh, the word foreigner there. And we're we're kind of given this explanation for it. Moses says himself, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. Um, Just to say, um, uh, when I quote the Bible, if if it sounds a little bit different to yours, I'm I'm using the the NIV, sorry, not the the ESV. Um, uh, But yeah, he says, I've I've become a foreigner in a a, a foreign land. Now, we don't know when exactly Gershon was, was born, uh, but it's safe to assume that he was born whilst Moses was living in Midian, uh, before Moses met God at the burning bush. Uh, and it makes sense, of course. Moses is a, is a foreigner, isn't he, in, in Midian? Moses is an Israelite from Egypt, but living in, in Midian. It's kind of, you know, lots of foreignness uh, going on there. And you might think, well, well that's, what's that got to do with God's deeds? I think the point is that Midian... And even Egypt beforehand was never Moses' home, and it was never going to be. He would have known about the the promises God made to Abraham centuries ago. He knew that there was a land promised to him and to the other Israelites that one day he could call his own. And he was looking forward to it, to to, to the future. The name of his son suggests that. And, And Eliezer, his second son, also probably born in Midian, his name is clearly given in, in light of God's goodness to Moses, that he was kept safe from Pharaoh, probably when he, uh, after he, he killed the man in Egypt and he ran away, that he was kept safe uh, then. He's looking back and seeing God at work in his life, God's, God's kindness to him. And the book of Exodus, it shows the spiritual truths that apply to us nowadays. And we could ask ourselves, you know, in light of what we see here, are we... Raising our children, if we, if we have children, to know God. You know, it's reasonably safe to assume that their names weren't the only things that Moses was teaching to his children. Um, you know, are, we, are we doing the same? Are we teaching them about God? Is there a godly imprint that we are leaving in their lives? But more than that, if, if we are a believer this evening, if we're, if we're a Christian, are we living our lives as though God has saved us and has done wonderful things for us? in the past, through Jesus? And do we live as if there is a certain and wonderful future waiting for us? A future in in the new heavens, the new earth? Because there is. It's almost as if Moses, with his first son, is looking forward to the promises God has made, and with his second son, he's looking back on what God has done for him, the goodness he's shown him in his life. He's remembering God's deeds, and that would be a major impact on his life. He's, you know, his, his sons are named in light of them. Now, do, do we do that? Do we look forward uh, to the eternal future that we have with Jesus? And do we look back uh, on, on the way Jesus has won it for us on the cross? Now, Christian is someone who constantly looks forward and constantly looks back, constantly remembers what God 
has done. Delighting in God also means we will talk about him and what he's done for us. So if you look at verses seven and eight, please. Uh, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Uh, They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now, I've got to say, next time I meet my father-in-law, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be bowing down and, and kissing him. Uh, he'd never forgive me uh, if, I, if I did that. Uh, but for Moses, this is just a friendly and, and culturally appropriate way for him to, to treat his, his father-in-law. And, and they could have talked about all manner of things. Um, you know, this, this is the, the, the first time that the family have kind of got together again for, well, for who knows sort of how long. Uh, and they could have caught up on family, on family life that Moses has, has missed out on. And I, and I imagine they did, but that's not the kind of the, the main thing that's on Moses' mind. Moses could have complained about the, the appalling attitude of the Israelites since they've uh, got out of Egypt. Um, you can read all about it in chapters uh, 14 to 17. They, they could have talked about all sorts, but, but no, Moses tells Jethro about the Lord, about how the Lord had saved the Israelites I imagine they did talk about other things before Jethro left. But the thing they talk about first, it seems, the thing they give the priority to is the goodness of God. When we delight in God, we will talk about him. And whether that's to fellow Christians or people who don't know Christ, we'll talk to both about God. It's unclear, I think, uh, when Jethro becomes a follower of God. I think by, by the time we get to verse 12, he certainly is. But before then, maybe he's just kind of an interest. He's just interested in, 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 in God, interested in, in this religion that the, the Israelites follow. Because he's a, he's a priest, but he's also a Midianite, uh, not an Israelite. So you'd think that maybe he worshipped other gods. Uh, we don't know. But I think that uncertainty points to the fact that like the uncertainty about Jethro points us to the fact that we are to talk to all people, anyone we can, when we have opportunity. Let's, let's just talk about God. You know, Jesus has rescued us from our sins. He died in our place that we might be forgiven, that we might know God and be truly and fully human again. You know, that is worth talking about, surely. So let's talk about God. And also let's praise God. To delight in God is to praise God in kind of obvious and and open ways. Jethro, once he's heard about what God's done for the Israelites, he he praises God. If you look at verse 9, please. Um, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of uh, the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and he rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. Jethro here, he doesn't doesn't hold back, does he? He praises God for what um, he has done for the Israelites. It seems just natural to him to, to, to shout out and say that God has done great things for them. And Jethro, in a way, he he shows the Israelites up. You know, here is an outsider. Jethro, he's an outsider. After only hearing about God's rescue, you know, he didn't actually experience it for himself, immediately praises God and prepares 
a sacrifice. You know, the Israelites, they were supposed to go into the desert and, and prepare sacrifices themselves. And yet the first time we actually hear about this happening, uh, since they got into the desert, since they were freed, is from Jethro. The Israelites were rescued back in chapter 14, but they've been too busy complaining, it seems, to experience the, the, the purpose of it all, the, the reason why they were saved and rescued from, from slavery. Been sort of so focused on themselves, they haven't taken in, it seems, what's happened to them. You know, apart, from, apart from the lack of whips on their backs now, what, what difference has this rescue made to them? They're not worshipping God or delighting in him like they should be. You, you kind of see the contrast between them and, and then when Jethro turns up on, on the scene. And the sad thing is, it's easy to, to be the same. I know for myself, it can, it can be easy, can't it, to be so focused on, on our, our present troubles and difficulties to, to forget what God has done for us. You know, let's not be like the Israelites. Let's be like Jethro. And that's not to say, you know, our, our troubles and our, uh, our problems, you know, we can't talk about them or whatever when we, when we meet together. No, we absolutely do bear one, another, bear one another's burdens and, and share, don't we? And, and, and pray for one another and care for one another. But, but let's praise God as we ought. You know, in our actions, in our speech, when we meet together, let's keep the focus on God and not ourselves. Let's, let's sing our hearts out when we can. Let's delight in God because he has done amazing things for us. Let's look back to the cross and his rescue of us whilst also looking forward to the future that he's won for us. Let's remember his deeds and let's talk about it. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about God and all that he's done and let's praise him as we ought. Secondly, the, uh, the Israelites were rescued uh, to um, obey God. Uh, the Israelites were rescued to obey God. So from verse 13 onward, the scene, uh, it changes. The family reunion, if you like, is, is over. And there's a kind of a scene of, of chaos, it seems, and disorder and cues kind of stretching off into the distance. And everyone is trying to see Moses and to have their disputes resolved. And, um, or, you know, every, every other person is trying to see Moses. And you know, estimates are that there could be as there could have been as many as, as two million people in the Israelite camp. So you know, lots of lots of people, and it's a situation that will it will break Moses before too long. And what will be bad for him will be bad for the Israelites. Uh, he is their leader; they they look to him for help. Uh, without him, you know, kind of where would the Israelites be on, on, a, on a human level at least? And there are all sorts of things that we could say uh, in this section. You know, we could talk about how. We, we can use uh, sort of common sense um, to solve problems. Um, we don't have to wait for sort of divine revelation uh, to happen, if you like. You know, we, 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 we have brains. We've been given brains, and we can use them like, like Jethro does. Uh, we can talk about how church leaders, whilst having oversight, aren't to take on everything themselves. Uh, we can talk about how character is the most important thing when, when uh, choosing and uh, new leaders, uh, and not, uh, not what gifts uh, that they have. But we're not really going to talk about those things, certainly not going to focus on them, because I think those things, in a way, they're, they're side issues. The point of all this, of what's going on in this section, is that the people, people of God, people of Israel, slowly but surely, as, that, as their disputes are resolved, uh, and they, they learn to obey God, 
And through that, they come to know him. Uh, Look at verse uh, 15, please. Moses answered him, because the people come to to me to seek God's, sorry, Moses answered him, because the people uh, come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Not only are the people to delight in God, but they are to obey him. Moses here is, is taking on the role of judge uh, and deciding in these disputes kind of who is in the right, uh, who's in the wrong, who needs compensating, who needs to pay up where judgment will fall, all those sorts of things. And through all of that, the people will learn to obey God and they'll learn about him. You see, God's law, which is kind of coming up next in Exodus, God, the, the Ten Commandments there in chapter 20, God's law is it's beginning to be put into action here. And, and God's law, it's not just a list of rules to keep and obey. It's not just that. It's not a, God's law is not a box-ticking exercise because God's law reflects God's character. You know, so the, the, the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are about honouring and worshipping God properly and correctly. The last six are all about honouring and protecting people because that's what God is like. God honours he, he honours, he protects, he cherishes. You know, if we lived in a society where everyone kept the Ten Commandments, it would be wonderful. It would be perfect. There'd be nothing bad. There would only be good. It would be, in a word, heaven. And God's law reflects his character. He commands us to live in harmony with one another because he is a God who lives in harmony with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is a holy God, A holy God who hates sin is is a God who is also merciful and he's slow to anger, but he's abounding in love. And this is what the Israelites are learning bit by bit. They learn through doing, through obeying. And Jethro, he encourages Moses in verse 20. He says, teach them his decrees, that's God's decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. So he's to keep on doing what he's been doing. The logistics of it all and exactly how, how that happens, need a bit of a rework. But his main job of teaching the people is still absolutely necessary. It's vital that the Israelites obey God. And it's vital that we do as well. If we stop obeying God, we, we fall back and we quickly forget what God has done for us. That he's rescued us from sin. And that has happened time and again throughout history. Christians... Um, have fallen away when we stop obeying God. How do we obey? Well, by opening God's word and seeing what it says. You know, we, we can do that ourselves, of course, on our own, in our own uh, Bible reading at home, in, in, in prayer. Um, we can do that on our own. But our, our church meetings as well are, are one way. Uh, another way where we see uh, what it is to obey more and more, bit by bit. You know, there are so many benefits to, to, to meeting with God's people. Uh, to, to being in church, to meeting as church. And one of them is to learn bit by bit, every week, more of God, and to put it into action. Uh, because, of course, actions, they speak louder than words, don't they? Evidence of a life lived for God is, is in our actions. And if we stop coming to church, we are treading on very dangerous ground. You know, God's laws, if you remember, they're about honouring and protecting people, and you can only do that if you are in community with other people, 
If we stop coming to church, and I know there are all sorts of, um, there might be illnesses and um, other, you know, very sort of good reasons why folks can't always make it. But the general rule, if we stop coming to church, it's, it's dangerous ground. And we actually can't obey God's laws uh, fully. And, and we will mess up, won't we? You know, we will mess up and we won't obey God. Uh, but that's you know, because we're sinful. Uh, and we twist all of God's uh, good gifts to us. Uh, and when that happens, that's when we, we, we look back and we look to, to Jesus. You know, God sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't, to keep the law. And when we put our trust in him, when we accept his offer of forgiveness, he gives us his perfect record whilst he took uh, our punishment on the cross. That's why we delight in God. And, and, and you know, what I, what I really don't want you to, to sort of do this evening is to go away and think, you know, am, am I delighting in God or am I, am I obeying God? You know, I've done lots of delighting recently. Perhaps I should do some obeying and learning more of his character. Well, no, that's not how this works. Delighting in God and obeying God, they, they go hand in hand. You know, they're, they're inseparable, really. There's overlap. And, and you know, God is, God is the happiest being in the universe. And if we obey him, his character shines through and, and that joy will rub off on us. And we will delight in him more and more. So there's a kind of a happy cycle here of obeying God and delighting in God kind of going round and round and, and more and more uh, together. Obe- obeying and delighting in God, uh, they, do, they really do go together. But maybe that all this sounds a little bit un- unachievable. I don't know how this has, has, has come across this evening. Perhaps it sounded wonderful. Um, you know, perhaps you're thinking, well, it would be, it would be wonderful to, to delight in God, uh, like Moses and, and Jethro do. It would be wonderful to obey God uh, and have a kind of a hunger and, and a desire to do so. But it, it kind of feels a bit like a distant dream, like it doesn't connect with the real world. Um, well, let me say, it, it, it's not a dream, and it's, it's not that distant either. Meals are really important in the Bible. Uh, they appear again and again. Uh, Jesus is often at gatherings where people are eating, and he's even called a, a drunkard and a glutton because of it. Uh, the Last Supper, uh, the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples before he's uh, crucified, is, is, is really important to them. He teaches them lots of Things, it's a hugely important uh, thing, and, and meals are a big deal in the Bible. And heaven is described in various places as being like a banquet, a wedding banquet. Now, the Bible tells us that there is a feast awaiting all who trust in God. But more than that, a, a feast with God, that he will be there. And here in Exodus is a feast, a meal. Aaron and some of the other elders of Israel meet with Moses and Jethro and have a meal um, it's, it's in uh, verse 12. <clears throat> uh, so look at verse uh, 12 again, please. Um, it says this, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. An elder came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. It would be so easy to skip over this verse. In fact, I did. It's only when I was uh, preparing uh, this passage with older and wiser heads than I, I think I saw it at all. But this, this verse, what happens here, this meal, and this might shock you, 
But it's the most monumental thing that has happened so far in Exodus. This meal in the presence of God, it's absolutely huge. You know, this is bigger than, uh, than the, the midwives disobeying Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's order to, to kill baby boys. This is bigger than God speaking to Moses at the burning bush. It's bigger than all the plagues of Egypt. It's bigger than the Red Sea parting, uh, than manna from heaven, the water from the rock, a, a battle with the Amalekites. This is bigger, more important, more wondrous than all those things. Why? Because this is what all those things were for. It's been leading up to this point where the Israelites and the outsider sit down in the presence of God. God is, is with them. They are in his presence. God lives with his people. You know, God has dragged the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to, to, to bring them to this point. He's done everything in his power to get them here, to make them free, to make them his. And it's the same with us and Jesus. God, every, God did everything in his power to, to, to get us free from sin and death through Jesus, his son, to make us free, to make us his. Because verse 12, it's a picture. A picture of that great day in the future when God is with us at the banquet feast in heaven. And being with God, living with him, is, is where delighting in him and obeying, uh, really knowing him, uh, blend together perfectly. You know, I'm, I delight, uh, I'm uh, married to Megan, I mentioned that earlier, and I, and I, I delight in her more now, um, after four and a half years of, of, of being married, than I did when we were first married. And I know her much better too. Well, why is that? Well, it's because I live with her. And that's what it will be like for eternity, for those who are trusting in Jesus. They will be living with him, ever increasing in knowledge uh, of him, ever, ever delighting in him more and more. You know, it might seem like a distant dream to, to delight and, and to obey God, uh, but it's not because actually it, it's your future. It's waiting for you. Of course, you, you need to be depending on Jesus and his, his sacrificial death for you on the cross. That, that, needs, to be, that needs to be happening. Um, you know, Jesus died so that when, when, when you die, when I die, we don't have to face uh, the eternal judgment that we deserve. And can I ask you, actually, if, if you're not trusting in him uh, this evening, you know, can I ask humbly, why, why not? Why, would, why do you not want to? Or why would you not want to spend eternity with the creator of the universe? With the, with the one who, who goes to kind of such lengths to, to, to rescue people. And who then simply wants to spend time with them and, and, and bless them. You know, what is there in the world that could possibly be better than that? That could ever come close. But if you are trusting in him and depending on him to be rescued from sin and death, well, what a future you have waiting for you. Now, God rescued the Israelites from Egypt so he could live with them, so he could be with them. Uh, and this is why God has, has rescued you from sin. So you can live with him forever. And actually, the, um, the party, and, and I, I do use that word on purpose, because heaven is, is described as a, wed, a, a wedding banquet, and a, you know, a wedding is kind of one of the, the biggest celebrations you can have. Um, you know, the party, in a very real sense, well, it, it, it starts now. Because you get a glimmer of this now in, in the church, God living with his people. You know, the Holy Spirit 
lives amongst God's people. Um, He's given to us to help us, to, to guide us, to spur us on. And there's so much I could say about that, but, you know, we don't have time. Uh, but, but, you know, um, I don't know if, if you have sort of fellowship lunches or just people around at your house when you invite them and you, you eat with them. You know, that's, that's a picture of heaven. You know, Moses, Jethro, Aaron, they're have, having their own kind of church lunch, their own fellowship lunch here in, in Exodus 18. You know, so often uh, we experience something of God's blessings when we're, when we're with the church, when we're with the people of God. That's when kind of it happens, that's when we, we sense God's presence, his blessing, his goodness to us. You know, the, the, you know, the church right now, the, you know, the church in general, I, I don't mean sort of city evangelical in particular, but, you know, just the church in, in, in general, it's an imperfect picture of what one day will be a reality. It's a blueprint. But one day it will be the finished article. You know, one day the church will take your breath away. Because Jesus is coming back, and he's making it perfect. He's making you perfect. He's making me perfect. He's making all things new. All pains will be gone. All hurts eradicated. God has rescued us from sin, so we can delight in him, so we can obey him, so that we can live with him. And we get a taste of it now in the church. We'll get the full thing when Jesus returns. God rescued the Israelites so that he can live with them, so that he can dwell amongst them, that they can be in his presence. And he's done the same for us too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, for what you um, have said to us this evening. Oh, Father, we, we thank you for the, for the, for the truth uh, that we, we begin to see here in chapter 18 of Exodus, that begin to take shape, that, uh, that you rescue people to, uh, so that they would delight in you and your goodness, so that we would learn to obey you, that we would reflect you, your character, that we would be good to others, so other, others may come to know you, uh, and so that we may live with you not just for a time or for a number of years or even just for the remainder of this life, but that you live with us and will live with us for eternity, that you invite us to be with you, to dwell with you in the new heavens, the new earth. Oh, Lord, we can't fully comprehend it in lots of ways. We're, We're taken aback by your goodness. But, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for that. Uh, We ask that you'd help us to grasp it more and more uh, this evening, the truth that you have saved us so that we might be with you forever. Amen.